0: Hey, I wanted to tell you guys, I think I put it out on the text thread, but in case you did not hear, you guys know the last time we, the last, so, you know, we do every other. And the Thursdays that I'm not teaching, we have a prayer group Um, and Josh and Ginger were here, which of course they're not here with us today. They are traveling to Montana, but Josh and Ginger were here during the prayer group. God did a mighty work. And a very powerful spiritual work. And what happens often when God does a great work is the enemy tries to come in and steal it. So the second this great work was being done in her soul and in their marriage and all of that, pain started in her neck while she sat here on the couch. And before, within 24 hours, she was in excruciating pain. Could not move, could not. The doctors were, uh, she went to uh, several doctors. Um, They got her in immediately. They didn't know what was going on. They were doing CT scans, MRIs, all of that. And so that went on that whole week because we had prayer on Thursday. The following Thursday, she came in. So she came that Thursday for the teaching. Last time, two weeks ago, she sat right back there by the orange tree and she was in so much pain, she was just crying. I don't know if you guys could see, she was crying, she was in so much pain. And I love Ginger, so I'm like, I can't even look because I just feel like I'm going to And go into a puddle myself because she was just she came in that pain, but she was devoted to being here because she knew this is where the power of God is. And so, you guys know, at the end, we all gathered around her and prayed over her, and the pain completely left. She was healed. Right then and there, she's had no pain ever since. Cancelled all the rest of her doctor's appointments. She's traveling. She's in the car driving. I know Jesus. Thank you. She's in the car driving for four days to Montana. So you know, if you've got those kind of pain, you can't drive in the car for four days. She's in the car for four days. She's like, I'm fine. I've, I've checked. She's like, I have no pain. It's gone. So thank you, Jesus, for that healing. You know, this ministry has seen many healings. And um, one thing I want to talk about today before we jump into the talk. Um, you guys know two weeks ago when Kim came, she came here and her mother-in-law is, is, is going to heaven. She's in the process of leaving this earth. She, we did not think she would still be alive. She's still here. Her husband had gone to be with her. And they said, I said, just go with Tim and be with him. They said her name is Ruthie she's a woman of God they said there's no way Ruthie would not because she lives out right outside of DC she works for CBN she does the news and she is very devoted to this ministry because she received a healing many years ago a dramatic healing and her whole family has been absolutely transformed so she flies in for this every two weeks and so they said Ruthie would not want her to miss serving God this is what she would want so she came last week well then, two weeks later, guess where she found herself? She's been in the hospital. Kimberly just got out of the hospital about 36 hours before she got on this plane. She was in the hospital for three days. In the hospital, and we're like, she had a terrible Crohn's kick-up. Spiritual warfare is real. And when you're really doing something for God, this is not easy street, but man, it's worth it because the weapons are formed, but they don't prosper. But she is a target against the enemy. And so here she is again, two weeks later, she's in the hospital and I'm talking to her Wednesday and she's like, I'm coming. I'm like, honey, you're just out of the hospital like a minute, you just got, she's like, I'm coming. And her flight did not get in till midnight last night. I said, it's too much for you. So her, her flight's landing at midnight. So, you know, it's one o'clock before she, she stays with Fanny when she comes, it's one o'clock before she gets to Fanny's. And she's like, no, God wants me here. So I want to say that when we end, um, and just for, I know we have new people, when we end, after I'm done, and listen, just a disclaimer, if you have to pee, go pee. I'm like, don't worry about it. Like, you know, because after teaching, I know sometimes I can see women going, I'm like, just go, come back. But anyway, but so, but but the, after I'm done teaching, I will play music. And I pray over each person, quietly. I don't pray out loud, I pray quietly. Every once in a while, every rarely, last time God gave me a word of knowledge or a prophetic word for somebody, every once in a while God will do work in that way. You never know what God's gonna do, but we seal what God has done here. We seal it through the power of prayer. And very few people have somebody lay hands on them and pray over them anymore, it's a rarity. There's power in that. That's a whole other sermon, but so we do that so, please stay seated and honor. And it takes me a few minutes because I'm not rushing through. So, please stay seated if you have to pee pee. But other than that, please, even if you've been prayed over, wait. Let the Spirit of God work because He's working even after I pray. He's working on you. This is between you and Him. And He always works. Oh, we didn't put tissues out. They're on this side. Oh, you, okay. We have a box. All right. Well, there's a central box. That's fine. We're good. Okay. Yeah. Because when God works, a lot of times there's tears because there's power. Those are cleansing tears, not sad tears. Those are good tears. But anyway, but after that, I would like to do what we did just two weeks ago for Ginger. And I would like for us to pray. Her birthday, her 50th birthday is Monday. And I would just love, she has Crohn's. Kimberly has Crohn's. So she had not had a flare up in years. We thought she was healed from it. It came back. I want to kick that thing straight back to hell where it came from right. and have divine healing for Kimberly. Um, we may have had another, we, we are having healings. So we're just going to see, we're, we're having some tests run, we're going to see, but we're, we're believing for more and more healings because that's exactly what God wants for the body of Christ. It was, it's so biblical. We need to have a lot more of it. Okay. Amen. So, um, and don't cut this part out Kimberly when you can, she edits, but. You guys might hate me before this talk is over (laughs) please just give it just give it time find out if it's the truth don't shut down your mind see if this is truth because you guys know it's all backed up by the word of God you guys know you guys know there's I don't give anything that's an opinion I only give the truth of the gospel and it can be defended by the truth of gospel so give it time Okay, Spirit of the Living God, oh God, you are among us, and we wanna give you glory for the healing for Ginger last week, God. Father God, we wanna give you glory. Lord, I believe there was another healing at the prayer session this past Thursday, but we're gonna wait and see. Get some doctor's tests back. Father God, I'm gonna ask you in advance for the power of healing over Kimberly's life, God. Holy Spirit, you are among us, God. And when we gather in the name of Jesus, you are present and you are power and you are life and you are freedom and you are love. And what this world is looking for more than anything is love. God, we are desperate for love. Lord Jesus, Satan has lied to us, deceived us and robbed us. And Father God, in the name of Jesus, we are here to take back that ground and bring love back and unity back, and peace back, and truth back. We are taking back the truth in the name of Jesus. So Holy Spirit, come, fall on us fresh today, God. We give you the glory. We know you will. Whatever we ask for according to your will, it will be done. So I thank you, God, you are going to move, and chains are going to fall off of marriages today in this room. And Father God, I thank you that this does not just apply to marriage, but everything in life. So I thank you, God, that there is so much, Lord, that we will apply all over our lives, and there will be freedom. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Okay, Um, so this is part four, boundaries. And I just want to say, you know, boundaries, when you say boundaries and you think of marriage... To me, originally, um, it sounded like walls. Boundaries are not walls. They're not building walls of barriers. They are not there to wall somebody out and wall you in. That is what they're absolutely not. the, but without boundaries, there's no way to survive. There's no way for something to be healthy. There's no way to have freedom in a relationship. So boundaries are actually there to create freedom, to tear down walls. And I was trying to think of an analogy, and the thing I could think of was, um, my, our family went to Guatemala, my dad was doing uh, uh, speaking for one of his books. And when we went, And I was 15 at the time and I thought it was super exciting and very cool. Um, But, you know, I'm sure any thinking adult wouldn't have thought that. But anyway, we we arrived and there were huge tables. I remember looking down at the airport. Huge tables lining the thing and guards with machine guns everywhere, ripping everybody's suitcases open, going through. Machine guns everywhere. I thought it was super exciting at the time. And then you get to somebody's house and there are huge walls. And inside the walls, they have dogs that you can't pet. You guys all know I'm the crazy dog lady. Um, So, you know, dogs, I'm like, they're like, you can't pet them, they'll tear you to shreds. There's, There's a courtyard with dogs that only, only have any relationship with their owners. And then you go in the house because there's lawlessness there. So with lawlessness, you need guards, walls, and machine guns. That's what happens when people don't honor boundaries. So, I also went to Japan. And my husband and I went to Japan, and I have no sense of direction. And I got on a train, because I was searching for an antique, which I got, a very cool one. It's actually right in that living room. I risked my life for this antique. Anyway, I got this cool antique from the Ming Dynasty. It was super awesome. And then I realized I have traveled through Japan by myself, and don't know Japanese, or how to get back on the train, or how to, or where my hotel is, or what the name of the stop is, I knew nothing. And I'm standing there with my great find going, I'm gonna, but see, Japan is a place of law, lawfulness. So I was completely safe, I never had an ounce of fear. I asked some nice lady for help, she could have been an angel, because this woman says, you're really far from your hotel, She gets on the train with me. She takes me all the way through. Then we get to the stop. I said, oh, thank you so much. She goes, no, I'm gonna walk you to your hotel. She walks me to my hotel. She, She was gracious. She was a beautiful, beautiful, gracious woman. We really, she understood a few words of English, but it was a lawful nation, so there's safety. There weren't walls, there weren't dogs, there weren't machine guns, because that's what healthy boundaries do. And this is what we're trying to do in a marriage healthy, healthy boundaries, tear down walls, not build up walls. So this is what we're going to talk about today. So there's nothing that Satan targets more than marriages. And we all know that. If you have been married for five seconds or even if you've watched your parents be married or, you know, anybody else, you know that Satan comes after marriages. And why does Satan come after marriages? Well, he is there, if he can get marriages, he gets children, he gets the community, he gets the nation, he gets... He doesn't just tear down the house, he digs up the foundation. Marriage is the foundation of society. We've heard that by politicians over and over again. We've heard it at church. It's the truth, marriage is the foundation of society. It gives, it it creates, it's from, it's what you build from the ground up to have a healthy, you know, world, healthy children, healthy, you know, so, so what does Satan want? He wants lawlessness in our marriages. Now I have put this scripture, every single boundaries one, um, but I'm going to say it again because I want you to see that the power of the lawlessness is already at work. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he's taken out of the way. And then the lawless one, see, this is Satan. The name of Satan is lawless one. The, the guy who tears down boundaries and doesn't follow the law, he is lawless. So the lawless one will be revealed. Jesus will overthrow him with the breath of his mouth, which I say every time, just a breath from Jesus. He thinks he's so big a breath. And that's what we're doing today. Every word is a breath against Satan. He's being torn down with every breath of God and destroyed by the spilling of his coming. The the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. Yes, Satan works through lawlessness in marriages is what we're talking about today. says he's going to use all kinds of power and signs and wonders to serve the lie. We're going to tear down some lies today. And all the ways that wicked deceives those who are perishing. People are deceived. They're not following the wrong ways because they think they're following the wrong ways. They think they're following the right ways. They are deceived. And that's what we've got to tear down today. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Can we commit today to loving the truth and being saved? Because the Bible says that what a man desires most above all things is love. God created us to desire love more than anything. So we want love. Everybody wants love. And, and these principles apply. We're talking specifically about marriage because marriage is different than any other relationship. But, but these principles will apply in many other ways. Um, this topic is so it was very hard for me I did I wrapped up at 1 a.m I took all day to it was it took all day to get my first draft because I had so much I wanted to do more than one um, talk on this there's so much to say about this but we are uh, fourth in our series of boundaries we only have one more time before the fall session ends and we're going to do children next week um, you know minor children and adult children boundaries with children and by the way these principles will apply other places but um, so I had to narrow it down to one, but this topic, this is the launching pad of the turn in my life. And I don't have time to do my testimony cause I have a lot. I really want to tell you, but those of you who know my testimony, it was through my marriage utterly failing and me utterly failing that it turned everything around for the glory of God. And I was transformed by God. My husband was transformed by God. Uh, I'm saying this in three seconds. This is a long, hard road that took several years. So, but I know the truth of what I'm telling you is I have lived this. I have lived this. And this is truth. And I am on fire about it because I was once deceived and now I'm not. And it works. God's word works. So, um, So let's go back to the beginning. When I thought about how to do this, and you you guys know I do boundary series every two years because there's so much lies and deception about this. And what's interesting is I thought, well this is gonna be easy breezy because I've done this, just did this two years ago. And I told Kim to take the old boundary series off of the podcast, which thankfully she didn't because I have completely rewritten every one. So there is more to say about this and it's in the old boundary series which talks a lot about being an enabler and all that kind of stuff and go back and listen because it's completely different than today. Each one I've completely rewritten because every time times are changing. And there's just different things to say each time. So, I said to the Lord, "Okay, I listen I re listened to that one and I'm like, "Okay, there I, I, there's some I got some more fire for this. God, where do where do you want me to go with this?" And what I got was go back to the beginning. Go back to the beginning. You have God, chapter two, Genesis, the very beginning. He's just created a a world in which man, it's inhabitable for man. And then we have man, and the very next thing that happens is you have a perfect world. You have man with no sin, walking face to face with God every single day, without in paradise, in perfection, And can you believe it? Every single thing that God created, He said, it is good, 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 until He got to the man and He said, this isn't good. He said, it is not good for man to live alone. He said, this isn't enough. Mm -hmm. Now that blows my mind. When, When I was meditating on this, God in paradise with perfection, without sin, without sickness, without financial pressure, without anything And he said, this isn't good. This isn't enough. People need people. People need people. And he said, I'm going to create marriage. That's pretty mind boggling. That's pretty mind boggling to me. So here we go. Then God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper who's just right for him. Who's just right for him. So the Lord began caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, anesthesia, very first time right here. While the man slept, the Lord took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last the man exclaimed, you can hear the true love, you know, birds flapping and hearts and Cupid. The man exclaimed, this one is bone of my bone, flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and joins his wife, and the two are united in one. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. His wife. So instantly, he's, that's his wife. God refers to her as wife, and I thought about that. What kind of a wedding was that? <laughs> Like, just really, like, God is the, you know, presiding over the wedding, and if God is into celebrations, he puts them all through the Old Testament, so he loves celebrations, so that was been pretty amazing, but anyway, okay, so, here we have this perfection, and you can hear the love in Adam's voice, and they're in love, and, you know, they're perfect, and everything's perfect, and they're in paradise, and that's Genesis 2, And as usual, when men and women get together, by Genesis 3, God is cursing them. God puts a curse on them. They have mucked it up so bad between Genesis 2 and Genesis 3 that they are being cursed by God. This is major, right? And this is perfection. This is in paradise when they're walking with God daily. So, men and women. It, it all starts out hunky-dory, and it's all wonderful. And then in a minute and a half, or one chapter, God is so, we've made such a mess that we're now under a, this is like, but, but this is real, right? So how did this happen from Genesis 2 to Genesis 3? I'll tell you how it happened. They doubted, they doubted God, they doubted God's goodness. They doubted how God says things need to work. God says it needs to work this way. You do it this way, it'll work. Then you'll be blessed. Which, by the way, I'm gonna build a case today that that's what Satan's doing in marriage right now. He is saying, well, he's saying this. The serpent was shrewd. He's good at what he does. Of all the animals the Lord had made, one day he asked the woman, did God really say You must not eat, question mark about God. Question, did he really? Listen, those things about marriage, that was back 2,000 years ago. Does that really apply? Did he really say, of course, she says, we may eat from the fruit in the garden. The woman replied, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, so she's like, well, I think it's reasonable. You know, she's still, you know, kind of with tracking with God, Satan says, you won't die God's word isn't true it doesn't really work that way what we're gonna look at in the Bible Satan wants to say it doesn't really work like that straight up this is how all of humanity fell and it's still happening today okay God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it and you will be like Boeing okay doubt 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 about God's truth God's goodness God's ways And this is the bad part, the woman was convinced. Listen, these things are not happening in our society because people think they're standing in the wrong. They're convinced they're right, but they're not. Because anything that goes against God's word leads to death. And this led to terrible death. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it could give her. So see, it looked beautiful, it looked good. Satan makes it look good. It looked beautiful. It looked perfect. It looked like it'd make her happy. But it doesn't because he's a liar and deceiver and he's come to kill, steal, destroy. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. The end of paradise, the end of perfection, the end of ease, the end of everything. Everything good just died right there. And Satan took a truth and wrapped it in a lie because she did have knowledge, knowledge she wished she didn't have. So, you know, he takes the truth and he doesn't just give you a straight out lie because it won't work. There is an illusion to sin. Sin will always have illusion. If it didn't have illusion, we'd never fall for it. Why would we ever fall for sin? It's death. The Bible says sin, when it is full grown, leads to death. It's death of a relationship, death of finances, death of health, death of something. And so why would we ever fall for sin? It, it's sin. it has to be an illusion. It, and, and there is an illusion about the things of marriage, and it is leading to death. And, it, it's, and it's, the same, it's the same thing that he's been doing. from. The, it's the same exact tactic. <laughs> it's just that, see, he's been around for however many thousands of years the world's been around. We're only here for you know 50, I'm, I'm at 50 right now, so you know, however long we've been here, he just uses the same tactics. He doesn't expect us to study the Word of God enough to know his tactics. He thinks we'll be lazy, and we won't really know, so we won't really see, so it'll deceive us. Um, but these are the lies that Satan tells Christians about boundaries in marriage. And, I, and I, I'm going to ask you to be open-minded today. Not the kind of open-mindedness that Satan wants people to have. When Satan says open-minded, he wants you to be open to every wicked thing he introduces to you. I'm asking you to believe the Word of God and every godly thing that, godly inter, that God introduces to us. Because the Bible says that the Word of God is life. And it is truth. And it is power. So will we believe it? Here's the thing. When we became Christians we forfeited our opinion if we're running it through the filter of my opinion my experience what i think how i feel then you are not living in the power of the gospel and what and life will not work you'll say i'm a christian but life doesn't work yeah because the way you're running your life isn't based on your opinions we forfeit our opinion And when we become Christians, we say, it's no longer about my opinion. It's about the gospel of Christ. Is this the holy, divine, inspired word of God or not? And if you don't believe it's the holy, inspired word of God, then you're not really Christian. You're pretending. It's a play. But if you do believe it's a holy, inspired word of God, then your opinion doesn't really count. It's God's opinion. And it works so much better because we don't do so good. If we did so good, when we, when we fall away from the gospel, society would thrive, and it doesn't. And we're living that. When, when, when society falls away from the gospel, society fails, and things get worse and worse and worse. So, but, but see, we've gone along with opinion versus truth. So here's the truth. Well, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna dive right in. Not even Feminism is a lie. That's a lie. It is a lie from the pit of hell, it is a lie. And it is ruinous. Now I'm not talking feminism that started with equal pay for equal work or women's right to vote. These are not the things I'm referring to. Okay, I'm not referring to, not referring to justice. That's justice. You know, women in the Bible were honored they were treated with respect. Women were judges. Women had the Proverbs 31 woman. She runs a business. She, you know, and, and and by the way, what Satan likes to say is if you believe the archaic ways of the gospel, you are a toothless hillbilly from, you know, wherever. Which, by the way, they might be the first to believe because God says that those who are rich in this world are the last to, to really walk in faith, and the poor in the world often are the first to walk in faith. So maybe they're right, we should be shamed by them, those of us who aren't. But I wanna say this, and I'm, I'm not saying this for any other reason, because I know I've got podcasters right now who wanna turn this off. Don't turn it off. We have far more people who listen to the podcast than are here, and I just beg you not to turn it off. Because if your position is actually truth, why are you afraid to hear the truth? If you're really truth, you're not afraid to hear a countering idea. You're not afraid of it because you're sure you're right. But I can tell you that I'm not a toothless hill. I've I've owned four businesses, run four businesses, I'm educated, my mother's a college professor, my father's a college professor. So just to say this, to say, I want to debunk the lie, this is for everybody, toothless, braless, shoeless, or you know, a CEO, or anybody in between. Here is the truth of the gospel. A lie has been sown into our the fabric of our nation and it's feminism and it's ruinous. And I'm going to show you why it's ruinous. The first thing, my, the lie number one, and, and all through Boundary Series, I've been exposing lies of Satan. We have a long laundry list of lies, but I don't have time to go through the lies that we've exposed so far. Go back and listen. But today, the lies in marriage, the first feminism, lie number one, they, that feminists try to erase any difference between men and women. Men and women are not supposed to be different. That is demeaning to, we, anything men can do, we can do better. Um, they, they think women should act like men and men should act like women. It is offensive. To me, as a woman, because I think femininity is beautiful, I celebrate femininity. Why is destroying femininity? What? What do they have? I feel like they hate women because the essence of a female is being feminine, and that's a beautiful thing. But they're saying femininity isn't enough. We actually have to be like men in order to be good enough. So they're actually putting down. Femininity. Why do we need to be men in order to be good enough? Why isn't the beauty of the femininity of a woman celebrated? To me, that's women hating women. That's not women loving women. That's women trying to make women into men. It's trying to make men into women. This has created all the sexual fluidity, confusion. This comes right back to here. Men becoming women, women becoming men. It is creating, because sin always grows and it gets worse and worse and worse over time. Um, So it just keeps getting worse. And listen, there is a demonic spiritual agenda behind this, and it is to create chaos in the family. It is to absolutely undermine a man's position in a family and a woman's role in a family. It's to undermine it. It's to destroy it. Satan loves this agenda, and it's destructive, and we're going to walk through this. But we were meant to be different. We were absolutely meant to be different. There are things that women are good at that men aren't. There are things that men are good at that women aren't. We are to complement each other. We are to work together to um, be better. And we're not supposed to put each other down for the things that... The other isn't good at So Dave and I have a really, you know, the, the God has, a, you know, a long time ago, um, I guess it's been 10 years now, God greatly redeemed our marriage in incredible ways. And I've got stories I could tell all day long about that. But we were talking about this last night as I was working on it and Dave was saying we have such a beautiful partnership. We have great division of labor and we don't cross each other's territories. You know, he, it's funny, when we got married, um, he was made CEO really young of a company, and I was like, this is gonna be great. He's gonna, just tell me, this is what you can spend, and he's gonna take care of all the finances, and da, 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 and I thought this is gonna be. Well, then I would find like our light bill and our gas bill shoved in his visor under the, never even opened, never even, you know, they say the painter's house is the worst painted house on the block. He didn't wanna come home and do bills. And so therefore, he just didn't do them. And I was finding them stuffed everywhere. And I was like, okay, I guess this is my thing, you know. And I've always said to him for 25 years, I'm like, you're so much better at this than I am. I wish you would do this. But no, he he has not looked at a checkbook in 25. He does not know anything about anything. Um, That's my area. And he doesn't cross over. He doesn't. You guys know, technology. I couldn't do one thing without him. And our daughter, you know, all the technology rules and the things that are set up, he does. And anytime she says, can I get this app or can I do this thing? I said, you know, that's not my department, that's your father's department. Only he. We have a rule in our marriage. If there's a no, if one of us has a no, then it's a no. So anytime Reagan, if she asks him or asks me, if one of us says no, she knows. Don't you dare, if your mother said no and your father said yes, then it's a no. Or any time we're making a decision, we made a financial decision about 10 years ago. Dave, we were living in a different state. Dave wanted to put in a pool. I did not have peace about it. And I'm like, I want to put that pool in for you. I absolutely do not have peace. And we, by then, our marriage had healed and we had a rule that if one of us doesn't have peace about something, then if one person has a no, it's a no. So he was, he honored my peace and he said, okay, we're not going to do it. He was disappointed, and I felt bad because I wanted him to have what he wanted. What neither one of us knew is that within three months we'd be moving. We would have dug up the ground. We would have moved without finishing the pool. We would have, and instead we invested that money. And just this morning, he goes, I have an analogy for you. Just this morning, that investment, we just found out we're getting the investment back, and it has done very well. Instead of it being sunk money that we would have probably ended up just losing and having to even pay more into, it's It's increased, nicely, because you honor each other's no's, or opinions, or peace. That's honoring each other. So that's how it's supposed to look, a partnership. Um, Okay, lie number two uh, is the toxic masculinity. That's their favorite term. You guys hear it all the time. Toxic masculinity. Everything that's masculine is now toxic. Everything that is male is now torn down. They tear down every masculine thing. They say it's abusive. They say it's controlling. To be a male is now toxic. And I I feel for women who have sons because this has to be very difficult. Because men are targeted everywhere. Every TV program, Every interview, every everything, men are awful, men are stupid, women are smarter, men are put down nonstop, and men are supposed to just sit there and be put down and abused with, they're not allowed to say anything or do anything because that's toxic, that's abusive, that's too. And, and you know, I thought to myself, one of the best things in my life was my father, who is a very, my dad's a West Point grad, a very masculine male. One of my childhood memories, he would always be out there chopping wood because Ronald Reagan chopped wood. My dad <laughs> chopped wood. And he was just, you know, he was, um, He for a while he was president of a Bible college. And just somebody recently said, I forget where it was, but they said, anytime anything had to be done, my dad would be out there. Like, they, we lived on a high mountain, beautiful, beautiful mountain. But... And But all the time, back then, something would happen. The water lines would break or something like that would happen. My dad would be out there digging the ditches and doing the hard labor and, you know, he's the president of the college and he was always out there doing that. He was a man's man. And let me tell you something, that is the greatest gift. I was scared to cross him. He had lines. He had boundaries. They kept me safe because he was a real man, a man's man. And that's what Satan's trying to say is so bad. Here's the thing, boundaries are health. If you are going, so you know what a boundary is? It's a traffic law. Don't drive one way the wrong way on a one way, right? Don't drive the wrong way because you will crash your car. That's what a a masculine man does. He says, these are boundaries. For you know, with my dad, for me, these are boundaries, do not cross them. You're gonna crash your car. And, and guess what? It saved my life because I, would, I crashed into my father who loved me instead of crashing into some horrible things in life that probably could have killed me or destroyed me. It's love, masculine men are absolutely necessary. Um, and so, lie number three is it's a token of a woman's goodness and her strength to abolish men. And that's in all the textbooks right now. In colleges. Abolishment, you're uh, you're actually strong if you raise a child without a man, you're actually strong if you do it without a man, you're actually strong, we don't need men, we need to abolish men, men are no good. And this is, and, and, and listen, this all goes back to Trust me, I'm building something here because we've got to understand the roots of feminism and where they lead. Feminism started 1968 is kind of when they give the, the birth date of it. By the 70s, they've tracked studies and women have become progressively less happy since 1970s. Less and less and less and less happy. Um, and not just with men, but in absolute terms too. Absolutely less happy because this is not of God this is a demonic lie and it's destructive and it breaks your heart. Um, but the liberals are shocked. They can't understand why women would be less happy when they're finally liberated from man. But you're, you have to understand that this is exactly what Satan wants. And I'm building a case about the lie. Um, there was an article written by Dennis Prager. And he said, I've written thousands of articles, and this was the only article. All I did was transcribe the call. A woman called in to him. It's too long, and I have too much to say today. I'm just going to read some excerpts. But he says, every Wednesday, the second hour of my nation radio show is the male-female hour. Because there's so many problems between males and females. Someone needs to speak out about this stuff. A few weeks ago, a woman named Jennifer called in. She was a CEO of a company. For reasons of space, I've shortened the comments. This is precisely what she said. And then I shortened his comments. Dennis, I want to get right to it. I'm 50 years old with four college degrees. I was raised by a feminist mother with no father in the home. My mother told me to get an ed- education to, max for, to the maximum level so that I can get out into the world, make a lot of money, and that's the path I followed. I want to tell women in their 20s, do not follow that path that I followed You're leading yourself to a life of loneliness. You try to do what you can to make your life fulfilling. I have cats and dogs, but it's lonely when you see your friends having children, going on vacations, planning lives for their children, and you don't do anything at night but come home to your empty house and your cats and dogs. I don't want other women to do what I have done. Dennis said to her, was it hard for you to make this call? She responds, it was. I want to be anonymous because I don't want people that I know to really know my true feelings because you do act like my career is everything I love working but it's a lie on the inside of me it's unfortunate I don't I didn't realize this until it was too late I don't know if it's too late which by the way I fell in love with this woman I prayed for her last night I prayed for her this morning I prayed for her and I said God lead her to the truth of the gospel because with Jesus it's never too late he'll redeem everything so it's not too late but I don't know if she knows Jesus. Someday, somebody asked me the other day, Jennifer's still talking, why do you stay single and never have kids? The true answer is because I was brainwashed by my mother into this. But it's hard and it's shameful to tell people, I don't know, I ran out of time. There's not a good answer for it except I was programmed to get into the workforce, compete with men, and make money. Supposedly, that would be a fulfilling life. But I was told that by a feminist mother who was divorced who hated her husband, my father. She tried to steer me on what she thought was the right path, but feminism is a lie. That's what I want women to know. I didn't realize this until late in life. Dennis said, I'm thinking of transcribing your call and making it a column. Jennifer says, do that, Dennis. I want to help whoever I can. (laughs) Oh, gosh, it just kind of chokes me up. Listen, it's never too late. Thank God we have Moses, he didn't even get started until he was 80. Abraham and Sarah, 100, I, she's 50, she's got lots of time. With Jesus, she's got lots of time, but, that, but, here, but that's the truth, that's the truth. The, the toxicity of feminism is saying by rejecting men, it leads to your freedom. It says that being married and devoted to tri- traditional marriage is weakness. Weakness to be married. Weakness to want to be a mother. Weakness to want to be a wife. And by the way, this isn't saying not to do a career. And it's not saying, I mean, I've, like I said, I've done several. Um, it's not saying you not to do it. It's not saying that you shouldn't do it. What it's saying is the lie that you have to do that to replace the gift. And by the way, the Apostle Paul said... He was called to a life of singleness, and he said it's the most noble life. So it doesn't mean you have to be married to be fulfilled. It's saying not to believe the lie. The Apostle Paul said the greatest thing that ever happened to me was to be single. And he said, I wish all of you could have that gift, but not everybody has the gift. So we're not saying that you can't be fulfilled to be single. That's That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is we're tearing down the lie that happiness is... the the desecration of man, and that to be married is weakness, and to honor a husband is weakness. You know, I thought about it. I'm like, let's see, 1914 to 1918, World War I, traditional marriage. You kidding me? Those women held together our nation, held together families. How about World War II, 1939 to 1945? Were those women weak? There were no men left in this nation. We did it. That's not weakness. How about the pioneer women? Have you ever read about the pioneer women? You're saying they're weak? Give me a break! What a load! I, I, you know, I, I. So there's this actress, Emma Rother, blah 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 blah. I don't even know. I don't know any actresses anymore. I can't stomach them anymore. But whatever her name is, I can't. It's a long name, and it's hard to say, and I don't really know what it is. But anyway, but every time she gets upset, you want to see what feminist strength looks like? This is very impressive. Be prepared to be very impressed. Every time she gets angry, every time she gets upset at the man, you know what she does? She goes goes topless on Instagram. And she says, F man. F you. F Harvey Weinstein. She's naked all the time. This is feminine strength. This is what feminism looks like strong is to, and that's so liberating. And she's so liberated. And she's applauded by all the feminists. And, you know, and on top of that, she doesn't shave her armpits, so that makes her even better. <laughs> that she's, because you know we all know that. But <clears throat> this is strength. But I mean, who's drinking this Kool-Aid? But they are. And by the way, just like Eve, they are deceived. They don't know they're deceived. They don't know they're deceived, but they are. Um, but I, I, I look at this, and I'm like, so I thought the point of feminism was not to objectify women. And now you're here naked. This does not. I, I'm trying to follow. This doesn't objectify women? Your public nudity doesn't objectify women? How does this work? Which leads me to line number four, which is the sexualization, the sexuality of feminism. Here's the mantra of sexuality of feminism. Give it away for free all the time with anybody you want, anywhere you want, anywhere, how you want, give your sexuality away all the time. This is such a horrific, horrific lie. And you know what? Women don't know this is a lie until a lot of times, it depends on how hard they get smacked down by it. it, depends on how far they follow it. But I spend my life when I'm not teaching, counseling women, helping them heal. From the scars of that lie because at some point you wake up and you say this is horrible I've never felt worse I've never felt lower I've never felt more used because you are used because you made the rule that sex without commitment is freedom and so then men come in and they use you And you feel used and you feel terrible and then he's the bad guy but you set up the rules because that's what feminine does and it destroys a soul and Jesus puts those souls back together because Jesus is love and the minute you repent there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus so immediately upon repentance you are washed clean, in robes of righteousness. It is never counted against you again. Jesus, when he looks at you, will never see it and you will never be held accountable for it because you've repented of it. And that's the power of the blood of the gospel. And it is never held against you. So thank God for the blood. But the the gift of, of redemption is so great that women have a hard time believing it. And so a lot of times it takes inner healing to receive the greatness of the gift of the blood of Jesus. It is the greatest gift. So, but it leaves scars. It leaves wounds. Because that's what Satan's out to do, kill you. Do you know who hates women? Satan. You know who's objectifying women? Satan. The guy that we never talk about in churches anymore. And the less we talk about him, the bigger he grows. Because when we ignore him, it doesn't mean he goes away. It means he gains strength. He hopes we'll ignore him. You know, I saw this, uh, I listened to this radio station. And these men were laughing. It's a podcast, not a radio station, a podcast. Back old school radio station, dated myself. Um, but these men were saying, yeah, this women's lib, you know, they punish us by free sex and nudity. Like this is man's punishment. For 10,000 years, men have been trying to get women to have sex without commitment. To take their clothes off for nothing they used to have to pay for it women's lib it's just you know and they're like yeah this is the best thing that ever happened to us." but by the way it's not the best thing that ever happened to them because their souls get just as damned men's souls just on this couch I can't tell you how many men have sat here and cried and cried because the damage that has been done to their souls through that promiscuous living it scars them just it's a big lie Just like feminism is a lie. That lie that men can sleep around and do all that stuff and it doesn't matter and it doesn't bother their souls. Oh, it eats them up inside out. Because sin is death. Doesn't matter what your gender is. But we have made, feminism has made commitment completely unnecessary. And we give away what is sacred for absolutely nothing in return. Death to your soul. Thank you, feminism. You are not for women. It's a lie. And I'm tearing down the lies. And, I, and then they blame men. This goes circles back to men. Then they blame men for being bad guys. I'm like, you're the one who set it up. This is, this is what's crazy. Our, 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 our nation has become sex crazed. And it's out of hand. And I was listening to another podcast. They're just telling kids, have sex, younger, younger, younger. Have sex all the time. Have sex. Have sex. Live it up while you're young. This is a demonic lie. You'll never have more regrets. Jesus will heal it. But you will have scars, and it will hurt, and hurt for a long time. But here's the thing. I read the, I heard this podcast. I wrote it down. They are finding out that millennials and Gen Zers, are having a lot less sex than Gen X and baby boomers. Is it because they've come to Jesus? No. I wish, I pray, but it's because everyone is hooked on porn. And with pornography, it's a culture of masturbation and violent sex. Because real sex cannot live up to pornography, so it's either masturbating to the fantasy, And by the way, we need to talk about sex. Satan talks about it nonstop and the Bible talks about it all the time. I don't know where we got so weird about this. I don't know why we don't talk about it. But anyway, we need to. But anyway, so it's it's a culture of masturbation or violent sex. Because violent sex goes along with pornography. That's what gets you off. Normal sex doesn't work anymore. It's just not exciting. So they're having less and less sex because this is a generation of pornography. Pornography is accepted. Pornography is is normal. They've normalized it. You see it on TV shows and all those things all the time. Um, So I was curious. When I heard that podcast, I did a little research. I'm like, I wonder what's happened. The statistics of rape, 1999, this is when the internet, we didn't even have cell phones yet, right? But here are the rapes. 89,000. By 2020, we're up to 126,000. What is free sex doing? You want to see something? You want to really see something? Okay. Women's liberation was introduced in 1968. Rapes in 1960, before 17,000. 2020, 126,000. How is free sex? Working out for feminists. What's happening to women? What is pornography doing to women? What is freedom? It's a lie. It's a lie. And the thing is, it doesn't just affect the Gen Zers or Xers or all that stuff. The divorce rate. I thought. I wonder how the divorce rate correlates. Nineteen fifties, traditional marriage, two point five percent, very low. So, nineteen sixty eight, feminism is introduced. By nineteen eighty, so it takes a gen. So when it was first introduced, it was the fringe, right? It was the hippies. So you have to give it time to seep into a a society. So I figured, give it a decade. So I fast forwarded. I I, and this is the U.S. Census Bureau. I fast forward and I looked. Uh, so 50s is 2.5%. 80s, 5.2. It's more than doubled in one decade of, of free women. Now, uh, 2020, we have 2,400 divorces in America every single day. We have 875,000 divorces in a year. Is this freedom? Is it everything Satan promised it us it would be? Is this what we, is this the love that we're looking for? Is this the good thing we're looking for? Um, and it's awful because by the time you wake up from the lie, like Eve did, you're already full of regrets. So I'm here to tell the truth now. And, and thank God for the power and the blood of Jesus, right? Because without that, women only have regret and nowhere to go, no hope or nothing. God redeems, the whole book from Genesis to Revelation is a book of redemption. Um, But we have rejected the order that God has put in place. And we have rejected it based on a feministic lie. And without me showing you the lies of feminism, I can't show you how the lies have seeped into marriage and the boundaries. You know, I don't know why they want to take... I let My mother and my father, you guys know my mother has cancer. She's had it for three years. My mom never had a cold her whole life. Literally, I don't remember a day she was ever sick. And then one day, out of nowhere, she had cancer. And it's of the bone, and it's blood, and it's, you know, it's been a bad thing. My father has been by her side every... He makes her breakfast. He fusses over her. He takes her to every single... Cancer treatment. One time in three years, he had a doctor's appointment, he had had laser surgery in his eyes, and he couldn't go. I took her in. every, all the nurses in the pod. they're like, "Oh, I bet Paul was so upset not to be here today. He fusses over her. He won't leave her side. He holds her hand. he da da. da, da. They all, this is beautiful. This is what feminism is saying this is so horrible you kidding me? It's a beautiful thing. They are a light in that pod because everybody wants that kind of love. Everybody. They've been together 60. Are we on 60 yet? Almost 60. They're trying to do the math. Somewhere between 50 and 60. Long time. But yeah, but this is beautiful. Listen, and let me tell you something. I'm their daughter. They had very rough years. We're not painting a picture of perfect bliss. Adam and Eve couldn't even make it in the garden without drama. Let me tell you something. They had bad years. They stayed together. They worked it out. They didn't give up on each other. It's worth it. Feminism is a lie. This is beautiful. So we just, we, we're going to debunk this. God said, I made a design. I made it. You fit together together perfectly. You are there to help each other. You are there to be a blessing to each other. There are going to be times when you do bad by each other, where you hurt each other. Adam and Eve did. We're going to study other cases. Man, my husband and I, we wrecked each other. It's awful because we really didn't follow the ways of God. Some of you might have gotten married and had perfect bliss ever since. God bless you. You should be up here talking, but I'm here for all the rest of us because I'm going to tell you something. I got married and we had a two week honeymoon in Spain and I cried for two straight weeks and I did not stop crying for almost 10 years. And it's not because he was a horrible, horrible person, but we had a really rough time and I crashed and burned at some point. I might get into a little more, but I'm just saying, but let me tell you something, that man, anybody who knows us, he is the center of my We can't stand to be, he had to go to Charlotte. He's been home working, you know, for the COVID, which is the best thing that's ever happened to us. He had to go to Charlotte yesterday. He kept calling me, I miss you. I hate being away from you. All day long. Now, this is a miracle. Because let me tell you, every single person who knew our marriage, they're like, you guys need to get divorced and get divorced fast. There's no hope. Do it while you're still young before you lose your body. So everybody said to me. (laughs) don't like do it. And nobody, There is there was no hope for this except for God. I had a divine intervention with God. And and I'm going to talk to you more about that. But so what does God say? Because what I'm going to tell you, I've lived and it's truth. I'm telling you, this is the truth. Put down the feminism lies, put them down. Listen to what God says. How does this work? Look at this. Abuse of women. God's ways protect women. So here we go. Don't get mad at me. (laughs) I don't care if you do. I don't care. All right, here we go. And further, submit to one another. Submit to one another. Okay, we're going to talk about the ditches. Do I not say every single teaching, the devil's in the ditches? The devil's in the ditches. So we're not going to, we're going to talk about the ditches. I know. Everybody's already, they just already heard the word submit and you're all fired up. We are not talking about the creep who abuses this. Okay. We're going to address the creep. All right. We are. We are. God's going to deal with him, but okay. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Why are you submitting to each other? Each other. It starts with each other, by the way. For each other. For yourself, no. For Christ. First of all, are your motives right? By the time I started to turn things around with my marriage, I was not doing it for Dave. I didn't. I did not like him. I, this is the truth. I pray he was in China. He lived in China eight months out of the year. I prayed daily that he would find a Chinese woman, fall in love, and leave me. That was my. I could, That's the truth. Every day I was because like, I didn't. I loved him. I didn't hate him. We didn't have a hateful relationship. I just wanted to be free. And I, just, and I just wanted him to leave me so bad. I'd always be like, Dave, those Asian women are really beautiful. He's like, they're not my type. I'd be like, really? I was like, please go over there fault." That's how bad it was, okay? So I didn't do it for Dave. I definitely wasn't doing it for me because all I wanted was out. I wasn't doing it for Reagan. She was young. I only did it for God. I had a divine encounter with the Holy of Holies, Jesus was real. He was power. And I had said, I lay my opinion down, my desires, my everything. I live for God wholly all the way. All in. So why did I submit? For Christ. Reverence for Christ. That's how it starts. For wives, this means submit to your husband as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, and he's the savior of his body, the church. He's a savior. God, Christ is the savior. The husband's supposed to be a savior, a protector of the wife. He's the savior of his body, the church, as the church submits to Christ. So wives should submit to their husbands in everything for husbands. This means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. You're supposed to give up your wife, your life for your wife. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this, Jesus did this to present her, the body of Christ, to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any blemish. Indeed, instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. And we're members of his body. As the scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother, joins to his wife, same as in Genesis, right? And the two are united as one. It's interesting. It always says the man leaves his father and mother. Girls don't leave their parents. They stay and take care of them. You know, it's a beautiful thing. But men are supposed to leave and join to their wives. It's not that they don't take care of their parents, too. They do. But it's just interesting. It's always the man. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say each of each of you, your man must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. So let's just talk, let's just get it out of the way. This weird, heavy handed wives submit, it's a freaky word. And by the way, it freaks me out because I have seen it be abused. And it's freaky. It's it's gross, and it just scares you to death. I mean, we see it all the time. The Muslim community, right? Women are covered from head to toe. They're beaten by their husbands. They're dominated. They're they're not allowed to have any type of a career or fulfillment. You know, so we see these horrible, and and it has been abused in the church. We've seen it. You know, I know of pastors' wives who are like, well, the Bible says I have to submit to my husband, and he wanted to look at pornography, so we did. And I'm like. Man, this is really sick. You don't understand the principle of what this means. Submission is, it says, submit to each other. The man protects. What do we say? Boundaries are protection. You're not going on a one way street. He loves, he provides, he cares for. The woman respects and honors. And it's very clear that the man is supposed to do it the way. Christ is with the church. So let's see what it says about Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He's the beginning, the supreme over over all. So he is first in everything. Christ is the head. We're supposed to do it exactly like Christ. Okay, what does he say? Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. That's not how men are supposed to act. If you're a Christian man, that is not how you act. Whoever wants to be a leader must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Yeah, men men go to war. Why? Because they're supposed to give their life for their families. They're supposed to lay down their lives. This is what it's supposed to look like. Mutual submission and, and honor and protection. And this is what women don't get. They don't get the protection. They don't get honored. They don't get these things. There is another, so we talked a lot about the sexuality in feminism. And I can't talk about marriage and not talk about this part of sexuality um, in in the gospel because it talks about mutual submission. We just talked about this. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. God talks about sexuality. And the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband and the husband gives authority over to his wife. Don't deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to go pray, right? I mean, and then you're supposed to come back together again. See, we use sexuality as a weapon very easily and then things don't work in our life. We can't figure out why. You can't do that. Once you're married, once you're married, So Satan has an agenda. He wants unmarried people to have sex all the time. He wants married people to never have sex. Holy sex is very dangerous to Satan, very dangerous. Unholy sex is very dangerous to the souls that it entices. So he does not want married people to have sex because there's power of unity in that. And we think that it's up to us whether or not no. And again, this is a mutual thing. It goes both ways. This is, you know, this is not somebody's sex slave or some, you know, horrible thing. No, this is mutually caring for each other, taking care of each other. This is God's plan, and he says this is what makes marriage work. I'm sorry if it's, if it's difficult to buy, but you have laid down your opinions Because God created marriage, and he says, this is what makes it work. Do it God's way. Don't do it the way you think it makes sense to you, because you don't know what you're talking about. I'm the creator. I created marriage. So there it is, black and white. Okay, let's talk about Abraham and Sarah, the mother and father of faith. And what I love about the Bible is it does not pretend, it does not make things up, it doesn't hide things they are the mother and father of faith and yet god shows us this terrible drama in their marriage and it gives people like me hope who've had terrible dramas in our marriage and god greatly redeemed them but they had it we all know the story but we're going to look at it sarai abraham's wife had not been able to bear children for him but she had an egyptian servant named hagar she said to abraham the lord has prevented me from having children go sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abraham agreed with her proposal. And so Sarah took Hagar, the Egyptian slave, and gave her to Abraham. Okay, so here's the thing. 70 years she's been waiting for this baby. And I understand this because I was in my marriage and I was really doing all the things I thought I was supposed to do. First of all, I did, not, I did not understand submission in a healthy way. I had a very unhealthy way of thinking about it. So Dave kind of ran roughshod over me in a way that I didn't understand, that I do understand now, and I hope I have time to talk about that more. But, um, but because she had waited so long, she gave up her faith. And that's what happened to me. I waited so long, it didn't get better, I gave up. And I kind of took things into my own hands just like Sarah did. She transitions from trust to culture. And when we transition from trust to culture, we, we run into that one-way street. She stopped trusting God and looked at the culture around her and said, oh, this is working for them because that was cultural back then. You give your husband your servant. She has a, she has a baby and is supposed to belong to you. She looked at the culture. She said, it's working for other people. Why can't it work for me? She presents this to Sarah, I mean, to Abraham, because she's impatient with God's plan. And this is, she manipulates Abraham into this. What we know is Abraham really loves Sarah. And what we don't read in this, but we all know, he's watched her cry herself to sleep over not being able to have a baby for a long time. And he can't stand her pain. And so he's going to try to fix it. And so he's going to go along with this terrible idea of Sarah's. And so he's manipulated into this because he doesn't want to see her tears anymore. And she creates this terrible mess that breaks her heart a thousand times worse. And let me tell you something. I did the same thing. I broke, mysel- myself, I broke myself in pieces. A thousand times worse. How, how, you know, you look at this and you're like, how could you think this is going to be a good plan? How do you think this is going to... See, we're deceived. Satan's always there with a deception to say, this will make you feel better. This will, if you just land blast him one more time, he'll finally hear you. You've screamed your head off a thousand times. You've thrown things. You've broken things. You've left the house. You have slammed the door. But you know what? If you do it one more time, it'll work this time. <laughs> I mean, but really, like, that's the thing. And, and so we think, and what does it do? It, it's worse. It's worse. This is so much worse for Sarah. What I did to myself was so much worse for everybody. And, and we know in the Middle East, we still have a mess over this thing, right? Um, so it's easy for us to look at this and say, Sarah, what were you thinking? But listen, we do the same things, just in different ways. Um, and it never, ever, ever, things we do that are not out of faith and obedience to God never make our life better. So you can think that, not having sex with your husband because you don't feel like it is going to make your life better. It won't. You could think shutting him out of the bedroom will make it better. It won't. You can think that the rules of God are archaic and that he doesn't know what he's talking about even though he invented marriage the second chapter of Genesis at the very 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 beginning and we know somehow better than God. It won't work that way. But of course this thing blows up in her face. Of course it makes her feel worse. And what happens? When it gets worse, the very next verse, this is the very next verse after this. This is verse three. The very next verse is verse four. She starts blaming Abraham. So Abraham had sexual relations with Hagar. She becomes pregnant. When Hagar knew she was pregnant, she started to, you know, she was like, Sarah, I'm number one wife now. You're nothing. Sarah's made a mess. Then Sarah says to Abraham, this is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms. But now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt the Lord will show who's wrong. You or me. Abraham replied, look, she's your servant. So deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarah treats Haggard terribly till she runs away. First thing is before I tease this out, Abraham is manipulated by tears and then anger. He's passive both times. We're going to talk about this, but why are we so afraid of anger? Anger is just a feeling in somebody else. We let anger control us all the time. We should not let our spouse's anger control. It's just their feelings. It's not just their feelings, it's their out of control feelings. It's feelings that are, that's what you're gonna follow. When somebody is raging and out of control and angry, we're gonna kowtow to that, as if that should lord over us. We don't give in to anger. You know, when somebody is out of control and angry, you say, when he can be civilized, when you can talk in a healthy way come on back this is again we made a lot of changes in our marriage between my husband and me but this is the thing can't can't be civilized can't have a conversation sorry wait till you can don't entertain don't be part of, of, of an angry person. Don't allow it. You're an enabler and all you'll do is feed that thing. That's a very important boundary in marriage. You will feed it. If you do not have boundaries against rage like Abraham, you'll be manipulated by it. Um, and there is such a thing as holy anger. We've talked about that in some of these other boundary series, but we're not talking here about ang- uh, holy anger. We're talking about anger. The purpose of that anger is to control somebody else. And we know all through the Bible it says have self-control, have self-control, have self-control, have self-control. When somebody's raging, they have one objective, and that's to control you. And you should not allow yourself to be controlled by rage. Mm. That's not a good master to follow, unless it's a holy anger, which most of the time it is not. But here, this is what it says about anger. A man of great anger will bear penalty for his quick temper and lack of self-control. For if you rescue him... And do not let him learn from the consequences of his action. You will only have to rescue him over and over and over again. So if you allow that in your marriage, I hope you like it because you're going to be living with it forever. So don't participate with anger. And and that's what Abraham did. Um, He participated with Sarah's anger. But here's the thing. And this is interesting. Sarah was right. It was Abraham's fault. It was Abraham's fault. You know why it was Abraham's fault? Because his wife gave him a terrible suggestion, an unholy suggestion, and he followed her. And God calls men to be the leaders of of their homes and of their of righteous living, and he had a job to say, Sarah, God himself has come to me. God himself has promised me. God himself has said that you and I will bear a child. And I will not, did Abraham really think that the way God was gonna fulfill this was through this horrible cockamamie plan, birthed out of Sarah's fear, her lack of faith, and her grief? He had a responsibility to say, no, God holds him responsible. And here's the thing I'm going to show you. God did the same thing with Adam. Look at this. We're going to go back to Adam and Eve. He said to the woman, this is God, I will make your pains and childbearing very severe and the pain and pain in, and in pain you will give birth and you will desire to control your husband and he will rule over you. See, that's part of the curse. An overwhelming desire to control our husband is part of a curse, not godly living, not blessed living. Not, not the way that God wants a marriage to look like. This is part of the curse. Now, what did Jesus die to do? Break the curse. What did Jesus die to do? Free us from the curse. But if you have an overwhelming desire to control your husband, you're participating with the curse. That's part of the curse. And then he says to Adam, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, and then he's, you know, you're gonna, I'm going to curse the ground, all the difficulties. There's a lot longer. I just, for time's sake, kept it short. He was cursed for listening to his wife when she was wrong. Why? Because he's the head of the household, and he is supposed to honor God and follow God's ways. Here's the thing. Back to feminism. Feminism says if you submit to your husband, you are a fool, you are weak, you are, you know, terrible you're you're in bondage Marriage is bondage they say Um, and you can't submit to your husband you know and let me tell you something I think most women in the church believe that now feminism has creeped in so much that very few women I mean they may say they do but they don't really honor their husbands the Bible says you're to respect your husband they don't really respect their husbands they don't they don't so so What's happening is the divorce rate in the church is exactly the same in the world. We all know that. Statistics show that there's no difference between the divorce in the church and divorce in the world because we don't really believe the scripture. And this is freedom and this is life. So we're going to read. The one thing is, okay, what if my husband's not a good Christian guy like Abraham was? Well, I'm glad you asked because that's what I had when I turned around. My husband was—you know—it's hard to believe because he's such a sweetheart now. God's done a great work in him, but it's like the closer I got to God, the meaner he was. He was mean as a snake. He'd tell you that. We—we we are open about a lot of things about that went down during that because we want to help other people. I came towards Christ. He's like, you're crazy. I, mean, I was already a Christian. He married a Christian, but I wasn't this Christian. I was a mainline Christian. who warmed a pew on Sunday and. I mean, I I read my Bible daily and prayed, but I wasn't on fire for God like this. When the fire God came and it really started to transform my life, I mean, He He made fun of me. He was He was not on board. Now He's the guy who sets up my PowerPoints, makes it possible for me to do ministry. You know, God has done a great thing. But when I started, God said to me, "Get your eyes off of Him. He's not your God. He's not your Lord." You've made him your idol in the past. That was heartbreaking. You know, and now he wasn't my idol anymore because I just did all I could just to, you know, I moved back into the bedroom. I, you know, and can I tell you? I'm going to tell you something. It was so hard to do it God's way, and I did it because I trusted the Word of God. It was so hard to do it God's way that I literally would go into the bathroom and sob my eyes out and dry heave. It was that hard to submit myself to the Word of God. It was God I was submitting to. It was God. It was not Dave. I'm telling you, I, and, and God, he must have just ignored my prayers. I don't know what he did, but I would be like, okay, God, I'm doing this. Please, this triplet. let him find somebody in China. Please, God. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you. And I can't imagine that now. I mean, he is my everything. I mean, we, you, you can't see us without us holding hands or being, I have the man of my dreams. God was faithful to his promise. But it was not easy, and it took three years, three years, and I'm telling you, once I got over the hump of saying, I'm staying in the marriage, I'm committed to my husband for God, not for him, and God, you're going to deal with this, then God did, and when he did, I'll tell you what, it's, I mean, we have the rest of our lives, it's amazing, but Let's read what it says, if you have a husband who doesn't honor God, good thing we have the Bible because it tells us exactly what to do. It says, in the same way you wives must accept the authority of your husbands, then even if some refuse to obey or believe the word, they will be won over without words by the behavior of godly lives. We talk and talk and talk and talk at our husbands. We beat them over the head with our Bibles. I did that the first 10 years of my marriage with Dave. I just beat him over the head with the Bible all the time. I did not gain ground. I lost ground. It got worse and worse and worse. The Bible, God made men and women. He knows what works for men. He's not telling you that because you're supposed to be mousy. He's telling you this because this is the power to bring change in your marriage. He says, the more you talk at a man, the more he's going to shut you down. I'm going to tell you how men work. He's just, he's, he's like a girlfriend saying, I have got the keys to the car. I'm going to tell you how they work. Don't talk. Do right. That'll speak louder than words. So he says, without words, through godly behavior, they will be won over when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You know, isn't that beautiful that it says that? Because as we age, we think, well, he's not going to love me so much because I'm getting old. My body fat index has gone up. My hair's gotten gray. And you know what? God said that. You know how many gorgeous women are dumped every day? Once they've been used up, they're not interesting anymore. And they move on to the next gorgeous woman because that's not what really holds a man's heart. That's another lie. That it's the outside beauty that really holds a man's heart. Now, that might be what snags a guy for a minute but it doesn't keep them there. And and he says, you don't have to worry about that exterior beauty. What does it? It's not the outside. You should clothe yourself with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husband. Not because they trust their husband, but because they trust God. We trust God That if we do things God's way, he is going to deal with that man. And he does. And let me tell you something. I'm not done with this, but let me tell you something. This is the truth. I do marriage counseling all the time. And it's interesting. I was just doing this. I was just telling somebody who was at the one, two years ago. Listen to the one, two years ago. And I said, hey, I'm redoing the boundaries on marriage. And they, she and her husband, were one of my bad examples in the last one. And <laughs> afterwards, I did not name names. But afterwards, they're like, hey, that was us, wasn't it? I said, oh, all day long, that was you guys. And um, I'm very blunt in my, teach, in my counseling, because um, that's how people get free. But, so I was like, yeah, that's you guys through and through. Well, they started to apply the biblical principles. It's been two years. When you reset your marriage, you go through rocky waters. I'm just telling you right now. You better persevere. You, may, you better set your sight on God, saying, I'm going to honor God no matter what. It will be God's way or you're going to have to kill me. I said that a million times. The only thing that will keep me from God's way is death. So you set your sights on God, and then when you reorder things, when you t- t- undo bad habits, people have a hard time with it. But in the long run, so it's two years ago, they had a one year of where literally I was getting calls a lot saying, I can't do it, I'm leaving him. Or him saying, I can't take it anymore, this, that. You know, all the, I was like, well, are you gonna honor God or not? If you're not gonna honor God, why are you calling me? I don't have anything for you. I'm only, the, I can only tell you what God, I, I can't help you if you're gonna honor God I can tell you what to do stay put wait for God he'll deal with it stay put wait for God he'll deal with it I know you're crying go ahead cry yourself to sleep dry your tears put your trust in God let God well now it's two years later you know what she said to me when I said this is she said I have the man of my dreams he is a godly head of our household we are so in love. He's been doing a lot of work to do very special things for her. He Just recently, he took a second job just to buy her something special. Just like he's just gaga over her because God's word works. And, and here we're going to see in the same scripture as we continue, it says, for instance, Sarah obeyed her husband. Wait, I, we just got the, the Bible just told us the bad example of Sarah. This is what I love about the Bible. When we, have, when we do wrong and we confess, we go from being the bad example to the good example. That's the redemption story. I've gone from the bad example to the good example. She's now the good example because she changed her way. She didn't stay in that bad path. Abraham, and So she honored Abraham. You are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husband might do. Why don't we honor God with our marriage? because we're afraid that if we honor God, we're gonna get run over. Our lives are gonna be ruined by these men. They're crazy. They're doing stupid stuff, right? So we are afraid. But this says, without fear of what your husband might do, put your trust in God, stop operating out of fear. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives, treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you, not mentally, not emotionally, Physically. He's supposed to be your protector. She may be weaker than you, but she is your equal partner in the gifts of God. So just to make it clear, in case you're thinking she's actually weaker, he's like, No, she's your equal partner. Don't get all in a, you know, thinking you're the big, you're the big man. Just protect her, he's saying. Treat her as you should, so that your prayers will not be hindered. You know, when your husband mistreats you, God won't listen to his prayers. God doesn't hear his prayers sympathize with each other love each other as brothers and sisters be tender-hearted be humble don't repay evil for evil which is what we like to do in our marriages don't retaliate with insults when people insult you instead pay back with a blessing which is what I started doing my marriage I started blessing my husband he's being mean as a snake I bless him now let me tell you I did not bat a hundred on that but I got better and better (laughs) i still don't bet 100 with that but we've got we've come a long way baby but anyway um but if you want to enjoy do you want to enjoy life of course you want to enjoy life if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days do you want to see many happy days let me tell you something i my husband and i live very happy days absolutely very very happy days the word of god is true Keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Let me tell you, when you're mad at your husband, the thing you do is talk crap about him day and night to all your girlfriends so your girlfriends hate you because they're sick of hearing about him, right? And that does not mean go for go- godly counsel. You know, I was just giving an example of the woman who called me repeatedly saying, I'm going to file for divorce. And I'd be like, okay, well, then you're, I guess you're deciding you're not going to, you're forfeiting your faith. I mean, you're going to, and listen, that's not to say if you've ever been divorced, come on, let's not do it. Let's not do ditches. I don't need to cover every scenario, but I'm talking about right here, right now. If you have started a walk with God, follow his ways, it works, you know, and, and, and she has it. But when she called me, she wasn't calling to complain. You know what she was calling me? She was calling me to talk her out of it, right? she knew she needed to stay she didn't have the strength to do it herself that's who you need to have in your life and by the way if you are the girlfriend who when your friend starts talking crap about her man and you're like yeah he's terrible he's terrible terrible you need to leave him you speak death into a marriage that is a serious penalty on your head i tell you what it's not coming from me i fear god too much the bible says what god has put together let no man tear apart i'm not speaking that Now, obviously there are times, and God gives times. You know, there's abuse, there's infidelity. There are times when God says, get out. And then you say, get out. I mean, there are really good reasons to leave a marriage. And God blesses that and frees you. It's not like he says you have to stay in some torture. But listen, guys, really, the stuff we consider torture, I would have sworn I was being tortured. I wasn't at all. He was tough. I wasn't, you know, he was tough. He wasn't, you know, abusive in any way, my husband. But it felt like torture because it hurt. But, it, but see, we make excuses for that stuff. So it just says here, the eyes of the Lord watch over those who do what is right, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. There's not much in between. Which, which, which road are you going to be on? I determined at one point I was going to be on the road of honoring God no matter what, and it has worked out extremely Extremely well I've got my parents who I tell you they went through some very hard years. They decided in the end this is the path. man are they glad? My sweet dad is says to me, I read my, he, my dad has written many books and at some point he's going to come talk to you guys but he says, and I remember when I was a kid back then you didn't have computers. My mom would type it out page up then the white out you remember this and the, the, and I swear, my whole childhood, all I heard was her typing. And they're typing, typing, typing. And, and 50 years later, my dad's taking care of her in cancer. He's like, I just remember. I think all the time how mom typed those books, those pages. We remember the kindnesses. You know, we remember, and again, we're not talking, you stay in, this guy's running around cheating on you, this guy's abusing, you guys know we're not talking about that, right? I mean, when, Satan wants people to go straight to the ditches, or feminism is not about equal pay, or women's right to vote, or women's right to work, or women's right, come on, we're not talking about that stuff. We're talking about the ditches here. What I can tell you is the Bible works. It works. It works this scripture is what, there are two scriptures that God gave me in my turning point. This one says, you will call on the Lord and he will answer you. You will cry for help. And he will say, here I am. There's a big if, If it's conditional. If you take away from your midst, the yoke of oppression, the finger pointing in scorn and every form of wicked, unjust speech. God gave me that word. And after that, I tell you, everybody in my life is like, this man, he's never going to be, he's, he's be good for you. He's never going to be a good marriage. And listen, they were justified in feeling that way. I understand why. We were a disaster. But God said to me, don't you say one bad thing about him unless you are seeking godly counsel. Other than that, you zip your lips. And every time, and I'm telling you, I would hear this daily, multiple times a day, because it was a really bad deal. Every time, this is, I would say, I don't know. I don't know what Dave's going to choose to do. I don't know who Dave's going to choose to become. But what I do know is God's given me a promise. He said, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires and secret petitions of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him also. And he will do it. When you trust in God. So I would say, every time they say how bad he was, and he was, okay? I, I just said, I don't know. What I know is I've entrusted myself to God. I am committed. I am staying. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be loving. And if he doesn't give me the desire of my heart for my husband to run off with a Chinese woman, then maybe he's going to give me the desire in my heart for him to become the man of my dreams, which he did. And I became the woman of his dreams. God changed both of us. And you know what? The, there was a huge turning point, and we were going to dinner one night, and he was hounding me about my new faith, making fun of me in the car. We were driving to dinner, being nasty, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I said, Dave, I don't know the answer to all that. I knew he was trying to have an intellectual argument about the power of faith. Ladies, don't go there. I said, I don't know, Dave. Said, "You're way, he's Mensa. He's way smarter than I am. I said I, I, I have you answered this one question for me then maybe we'll talk I said do you like the changes you've seen in me he said yes I said are they radical changes he said yes I said are they good changes he said yes I said that's all I have to say my faith is real based on my behavior and he was trying to suck me into a conversation and I said I had to find my way to the power of Christ. If you actually genuinely want it, and you're not just trying to antagonize me, then go find it, because he's waiting for you. But it's not gonna happen through me. I'm not gonna spoon feed this to you. I'm not gonna baby feed this to you. Go find Christ. You've seen it in my life, it's real. And within a couple of weeks, Dave was in China. He had a dream, absolutely changed his life. God came to him a dream in the middle of communist China. And he called me up. I was actually in a prayer meeting in Philadelphia. And he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm I'm in the middle of a prayer meeting. He said, I just was visited by God in a dream. I'll never be the same. God word works. And this scripture, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. So Lord Jesus, your boundary lines are pleasant. They're so counter to the culture. Help us, God, to believe you more than we believe the culture. Sarah wished she had believed you more than she believed the culture. It just broke her heart and made a mess. Father, help us. It's very hard. It's very hard. It's very hard because sometimes our husbands are pretty awful. Or sometimes they're not that awful, but they're, they're just out there. And Lord God, I just pray, God, that we would live so powerfully, filled with your spirit to such a degree that they, Father God, are transformed. And Lord, just like my friend who said just two years ago, we were the bad example. And now look what God has done in two years. And Lord, for me, it was three years. And Lord, we, your word is truth. Your word is life. Your word is love. Your word is supernatural. It it loves impossible situations because that's when you do your greatest work. It's a greater trophy. The more impossible it is, the bigger trophy for the kingdom of God, for the power of the supernatural operating through us, God. Let your supernatural power operate through us, Lord. Let it operate through us, God. And bless our marriages. I pray a blessing over every marriage. I pray a blessing over every man, woman, and child. I pray a blessing over all those who have listened. Lord, the the scripture says that the word of God, it goes into your mouth. It's like a morsel of food goes into your mouth. You swallow it and it goes down and becomes part of your body. You digest it. God, I pray this would be digested into families and homes and restore love and freedom. You created love. You created marriage. You've given us the the instruction manual. Help us to follow it, God. It works. And I thank you for the confidence of that. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Uh, Thank you, guys. Praise God. All right, I'm going to pray over you guys.